Welcome to the Kansas City Business Cast. This is your host, Michael Reisinger, where we assemble a cast of entrepreneurs, small business owners, and folks who don't classify themselves as either. I have a very special guest today. His name is Jeremiah Davis. Full disclosure, I know this guy. He's been somebody that I've been able to rely upon uh, to share ideas with, work with, and do other awesome things here in the Kansas City region. Hey, I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to. If you could, please follow this podcast, rate it, hit the notification bell. And if you like what you hear today, would you kindly leave us a review? We'd really appreciate it. All right. So we'll go ahead and get into it without further ado. Jeremiah Davis, hey, Michael, introduce thanks, yourself. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. It's been a good day. Um, probably should start off as what, what is this podcast rated? Like, like R, PG, PG 13. <laughs> is it okay to slip in a cuss word here or there? I wasn't, I wasn't sure. You know what? That's a good question. Um, at this time, I'm not so sure. Um, I haven't had any cuss words come up yet. Um, I'm not sure where that's going to go with rating. I don't know what the algorithm gods do on Spotify and Apple and all that. Um, but if you feel the need, let one rip. Okay, well, well, how about I, that? You know, when we when we talk about um, writing books, I was a an editor for a while, and uh, you have some of those people where um, they put in a cuss word like every other sentence, <laughs> um, and that that won't be me. But I, I learned when you're when you're writing, it's actually more effective to have like the whole book be nothing except for one word. And like, it's so much heightens that one word more than if you had a whole bunch. So ah, for effect. Yeah, for effect. So anyways, I'll try not to do that today. All right. I'm sure my kids will listen to this and we'll keep it. We'll keep it G. Right. So maybe you could tell the listeners about, you know, the businesses and, and endeavors that you run right now. And then we'll, we'll maybe reverse engineer, talk about your history, setbacks, things you've learned, uh, what you do, how you do it effectively, and maybe what you've got on the horizon, whatever you're comfortable with sharing. Yeah. So uh, like today, uh, today I woke up this morning and uh, by six o'clock was in the office and was... Uh, working on envelopes for my lawn sprinkler company, getting ready to send out invitations for people to sign up for winterizations. Um, so I was sitting there for about four hours watching Band of Brothers uh, doing the, you know, two labels here, stamp, stuff it, and then go from there uh, over and over and over again for 400 customers. Um, so that was my my morning. Um, that's one of the businesses I work on. I have a like a business marketing consultant company that I do. And that's morphed into a nonprofit now with Shift KC. Um, so we do some business consulting with that. We do the entrepreneurship where we teach people uh, how to switch from employee mindset to an entrepreneur. Um, my wife and I have started uh, Songbird Abbey. It's a uh, just another nonprofit we're working on where we invite, invite people who uh, need uh, just a season of help where they're going through a time of crisis. Um, going through an uncomfortable season and just need some help with some things. That's what that's for. Uh, we're getting ready to start a coffee roastery with a couple of friends of mine. Um, so that's kind of what I'm working on this week. Uh, there's just been a lot of, a lot of stuff. Yeah. So you stay busy. Um, and that's something that I've known. I've known yeah. you for almost two years now, but really started spending a lot of time with you uh, earlier in this year. Um, not my story to tell right now, but at some point I will tell, you know, the listeners about my journey and all that. But, uh, you know, I was at, at a, a rock, I was a rock in a hard place. And I think the shift KC cohort was kicking off. And, um, you know, 
that's where we got to start talking. I actually worked with you in the sprinkler business for a while, got to see how you do that. And I'm always excited to see how you're always working on something. Every time I see you, you know, if it's on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis, um, it makes me really curious because, you know, when I meet people who are, you know, people who start businesses and own businesses, um, usually it's like one business or two businesses. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your philosophy on what is a small business owner, an entrepreneur, what do you call yourself? And, you know, how you got in this mode where you kind of launch a lot, you, you, you have a lot going on. You launch businesses and get them going. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the best place to start would be uh, defining entrepreneurship. Uh, most people will will say, you know, like they look at a guy and they're like, oh, he's an entrepreneur, as if, you know, he has a natural talent for something. Um, and I, I just found that that's not true. Uh, most, most of the time, it's he's learned something from either his dad, learned something from school, uh, learned it just from you know naturally picking up along the way these different skill sets that anybody can learn that uh, define entrepreneurship. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily an, uh, like a class of people that oh you know he's the entrepreneur and he's going to go start businesses. No, like he's he's learned a skill set that's allowed him to get to that point. And um, the best example that I have of that is actually my dad. He uh, he started uh, his own business when I was in middle school. Uh, he started Great Western Fly Fishing Company and then went up and started another business by about a year later called Orvis Angler up in Estes Park, Colorado. And uh, I saw him walk through these steps of being an entrepreneur that um, had these different skills to start these businesses, but then also on at the same time, like to make bi- uh, bills and make ends meet. He was working a job um, trying to figure out like, where, where where can I get the best bang for my buck hourly at a part-time job so I can do what I want to do. So he was delivering pizzas from five o'clock in the evening to like 10 o'clock every day. So working, you know, six o'clock in the morning, dropping me off of school and then doing his day job, but then having an evening job as well, just to make ends meet. And he did that for probably two or three years until the business took off. Um, so you see a lot of the guys that are, that you talk about being entrepreneurial, um, they're just going out and trying their best to make things work. Um, and so sometimes that means you're working a day job and you're doing like a lot of the writers that I know when I was working at Starbucks, saw all sorts of different writers come through. And, um, a lot of times it's the guys that they only have four hours on Saturday morning that they're writing their book and they end up writing a book over the course of a year because they've put in every Saturday, four hours a day. Uh, sometimes we had a lady that she wrote a book, she would come in and just do an hour before her day job from six to seven every day and write a book. And so you look at these people and like, you know, they, they did it overnight or they're an overnight success. And that's just not right. Like they put in a ton of time that no one sees. Uh, I think it's Joshua Medcalf that talks about how um, we win in the dark. Like there's so many hours in the dark working that no one ever sees. And then all of a sudden you're in the limelight and everybody's like, you know, he's an overnight success. No, he was actually just working and no one saw it. Um, So that, that was one of the things I learned early on just modeling from my dad was um, there's a lot of work that's done that no one ever notices or ever sees that accumulates into something that's that's really big. Tell me about what you do in the dark, right? We talk about that seeds grow in the dark. And then what what was that you said that Mr. Metcalf said? Uh, win in the dark. We win in the yeah, dark. I think it's actually one of his books too. Man, that is deep. So what are some of the things that you've learned to do over time? Or what did you watch your dad do? Um, you know, maybe you can tell us about that. 
Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that uh, I've seen work really well for a lot of people is just sticking with the schedule. Uh, like most, most people, we uh, tend to gravitate back and forth. We don't really want to stick to uh, our budget. We don't want to stick to our schedules. We don't want to stick to these things because they get hard. Um, and having the the tenacity, the the gumption, if you will, to just stick it out when you don't want to do it is a really um, good skill to have. And it's something you can learn. Like most people are not going to sit down and do the same thing every single morning, getting ready uh, for for work unless they have to. Um, and so you just kind of get a set schedule of this is what my Monday looks like. This is what my day looks like. This is what it looks like uh, to interact with my kids. This is what it looks like to uh, go on a date with my wife. This is what the week looks like. Um, and then that turns into a month and that in turns into a year. And pretty soon you have all these hours that have built up into time spent with these various things in your life. And it's it's getting to the point where you know it's important. Uh, and being able, like, uh, I made a commitment, it was a, it was a while ago, um, just realizing that playing video games was a big time suck. And like it was hitting the dopamine and, you know, all the things we, we want in life and, and, um, want to achieve with, it just wasn't doing that for me. Uh, all it was, was just, you know, going in and spending time, not, not getting our goals accomplished. So sold the, sold the Xbox, um, getting ready to sell our PS4. Um, so I'm still in some of the processing with some of this as well. Um, but just being able to look at what is the, the things that you're doing daily and are they actually moving towards your goals? And if they aren't, then you'd kind of put them in the bucket. Um, um, you know, just so many things in what you said, um, time with the wife, time with the kids, time to do work. You know, you talked about the video games invading. I think that's something a lot of people, especially dudes out there, you know, can can really identify with. Uh, how do you do what you do? Um, you know, who did you learn from? Did you try any methodologies or any models of daily discipline or what is your daily your daily uh, schedule look like? You know, some people will set it up day by day. Some people go week by week. Some people go out to month. But, uh, you know, I know you and I know you are very intentional <laughs> and deliberate about how you set up what you do. And you kind of mentioned it in you have to remember what's important. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so that, that's that been more of a, a challenge, actually, to be able to figure out what's important because everybody's what's important is different. Um, and so, like, even just going down to how you, how do you um, discipline your kids. Uh, do you let them sleep in the bed with you when they're young? Do you let them sleep in their own room? Uh, all the parenting challenges that you go through, like most people give you a book, they have an opinion on it. They like, they, you know, no, you shouldn't do co-sleep or yes, you should. And blah, blah, blah. Like it just comes down to what is it going to look like for you and your family? And then being able to commit to that long-term. Cause there's a lot of naysayers and people out there. I can remember walking into a bank and I knew the bank owner really well and she was there that day and we were talking and I was talking about, you know, I need to open up another account because we just started another business. And um, as a sidebar, when I open an account, I open up five accounts for each business and I have a different cash flow system that I use uh, for that. So I'm opening up these five checking accounts and I've already got like 20 at the bank. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, no one can run that many businesses at one time. And it was that, who says, like, who says that? Why can't we do that? What's the... If they say that, great, but who who says that? Let me know because nobody actually says that. It's just it's just the thing people are out there assuming. Like no one can do that. No one can run three businesses at the same time. You can. It's just really hard. And that's why they say that, because they're afraid of it being hard. That's right. Um on challenging assumptions, you mentioned Shift KC. Yep. We uh we started Shift KC 
about two years ago uh, with the Kansas City Underground guys on Thursday night. We were talking about doing a business uh, entrepreneurial incubator. Uh, Kansas help- City Underground is our church, right? Yes. That's our yeah, church, house church network. network here in Kansas City. Um, so we were there on a Thursday night discussing this. We'd heard a couple of different guys doing uh, that in other cities, and we wanted to do that here in Kansas City. And uh, Mike Miller, one of my good friends, and I kind of just took up the challenge and said, well, if no one else is going to do it, we might as well. Like, we've got some business experience. He's he's actually sold a business in his past. Um, we've Obviously, I've started so many different things. Uh, it just seemed to fit to do Shift KC and teach people how to how to move from an on a uh, employee mindset where you're making a salary, you have a set, you know, this is my eight to five job. Um, I go to work every day at this time and I come home at this time. And, you know, it's that you see it in the, the movies and commercials, the drudgery of going to work every day. Well, that that's actually not not how it is for people who own their own businesses, because most of the time you're working at home. You're doing all your admin hours in the morning and then you're working throughout the day and then the kids interrupt and it's just, it's all over the place with hours sometimes. Um, but that, that's what we, we were challenged to is to help people start businesses. Um, and obviously, you know, you're, you're a prime example of that. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, you know, as far as shift KC goes, um, what are some of the methods that you use to get people to make that shift in their mind? Um, what is the curriculum? It's, it's a cohort, right? several weeks. Uh, but what are some of the, what, what does that, uh, sort of stream of consciousness look like when they come in versus where they should be or what they should be thinking about by it's the time it's done? Uh, so most, most people are not going to make a big shift, uh, in their day. They're not going to want to move away from what they're currently doing, uh, unless there's a pressure point, unless there's something that is wrong that they're experiencing, uh, that they need help in, or there's a you know a bleeding that's happening, and they need to go see the doctor. They're not going to go to the doctor, uh, and so with Shift KC, a lot of it has been finding people that they're just at that point of bleeding, and they need help, and that's when we can step in this area. Let's let's fix some mindset shifts that have happened, where you've grown up with this uh, this idea that you have to be an employee for your day job. Let's m- make some mindset shifts and show you like you can actually start a business and get out on your own and not have to work for someone else. Um, and so a lot of that is just finding those people that are just bleeding out, <laughs> so to speak, um, and and going from there. Um, with Shift itself, it's a, a 10-week process. Uh, we go through the Entrepreneur Learning uh, Initiatives curriculum. Um, it's a great curriculum that um, is designed to help people make a mindset shift. Um, and so a lot of this stuff is just on your own, um, being able to do some self-pacing with educating yourself. Uh, and then the cohorts are designed to uh, mentor and walk alongside you in that process. Um, so you do the the main reading and the, all the stuff at home, kind of like a college course. Uh, we're not going to do a, a primer course on anything for you. It's you get to do all this on your own and we're going to walk with you uh, through the process of it. So that's kind of what shift is about. And then hopefully by the end, um, as you make these mindset shifts, um, you are, uh, I'd hate to word, use the word empowered because I know what that means for you, but you're empowered to now go off and start your own business. Um, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, that, that's something that it, it's funny. You mentioned the empowerment thing. So maybe I'll just tell people about that real quick. And this did come up in my own shift journey. Um, part of my angst that I brought into, um, you know, the cohort that Mike and Jeremiah handled really well was the fact that 
I do not believe, and this is this idea was planted in my head by David Marquette, who wrote Turn the Ship Around, but I do not believe that people have the power to give other power to people. Um, the, the power actually comes from, you know, if you ask me, our creator. We all have our natural abilities and experiences that we have been gifted. And so I think if we could just change that word to maybe businesses equip their people. Um, I kind of asked a group about this recently. I was, I was presenting my, my business services in front of people. And I said, how many of you people hiring managers hire people so that you can give them power? And they started shaking their heads. And it's like, no, you hire people because they come with power, right? If you are empowering somebody, it means that they've been disempowered. And if you're the leader, it's probably by you, either intentional or not. So, um, for me, my mindset was really about, hey, I've got some ideas about how to solve problems. That's another thing that you guys do that I really like is it's not to build a business based on things you're good at, but based on a problem to solve, right? And how can I solve that problem? And that may lead somebody down a path to where they're actually starting a business about something, a topic or a service that they had no idea even existed, and that's happening right now, right? We're seeing it in Kansas City. There's thousands of layoffs. There's hundreds of thousands of layoffs in tech. Trades are coming back. You know, um, people are starting to put a spotlight on the quote dirty jobs that Mike Rowe's been trying to tell us about for decades. You know, the garbage man and what the garbage man makes and what the plumbers make and what the folks that are in ir- irrigation like yourself make. Um, you know, it, it, it just. The, the whole thing's getting turned on its head. So um, you're right. Yeah, you guys don't empower people. Uh, you find a way for them to discover, you know, the power in themselves, right? Um, I really liked what you were t- saying there about um, how we we don't give the power. It's it's God who gives us the power because he's our creator, uh, which that's a good segue into, um, it was, a, it was a, about 10, 15 years ago um, where I was working, working a day job, actually. Uh, working at uh, all sorts of different part-time jobs, just trying to make ends meet for family. Um, didn't have any of the mindset I do now back then. And the Lord really spoke clearly about Deuteronomy 8.18. And he just said, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Um, so it's the idea that he gives you the power to make money. Uh, and at that point, I was like, you know, if that's true, and I have the power to make money, then I don't need to work at these places. I can choose where I want to work. And um, there are some pretty big shifts that happened. One of them was I moved from uh, washing cars at Enterprise to... Can you face the microphone? Your volume is really good when you face the microphone. Washing cars yeah, You don't have Enterprise. to lean in, but yeah, just stand, just with your mouth, like, at the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We talked about these microphones beforehand. Not, not like this. Can I talk like, no. Anyways, I uh, went from washing cars at Enterprise to what, what I want to do and um, realized at that point that the most marketable company that I knew of was Starbucks. And so I took a job at Starbucks just so I wanted to learn marketing. I didn't get a degree in marketing. I didn't do any business consulting background. I just jumped in and worked at the one company I knew that had branded themselves really well, uh, were really well run, and uh, made a, looked like they were making a lot of money. Um, and so that's why I took that job. Uh, I was working, you know, 40 hours. I would get up at, at 3.30 in the morning, be at the um, at the shop by 5.30, open the store, and was just doing doing Starbucks for about 
two years just to learn marketing. And most people looked at me like I was crazy because, you know, you see someone at Starbucks, um, it's a high school student, it's a college student. It's not someone in their late 30s that is working at Starbucks uh, by choice. And, and that, that was me. Um, and so like, that's where I just started learning. Like you, the choices you make, you can make on your own. You don't have to have someone else make those choices for you. You can choose what to do and decide what to do with your, you know, quote unquote destiny. Um, and so that was my first shift with Starbucks, uh, because of Starbucks was, uh, talking with a girl that was working there. Uh, it was a, a young lady that was writing a book and, um, I happened to make a comment about, Hey, you know, if you switch this one thing, your whole character arc will make sense. And she just looked at me like I was crazy and said, she shared what she was writing with you. Yeah. Yeah. She, well, she had it on a big table, like spread out. Um, they, uh-huh. a lot of writers will do that. They'll have all their stuff out in front of them. Their, you know, their maps and their, uh, character arcs and their storylines. And we'd been talking for months at that point. And, um, I just leaned over and made a, you know, made a comment. She said, can I hire you as a developmental editor? And I was like, I have, I'd have to go home and look at what that means, but sure, I can figure that out. Uh, so that was actually my first business was starting an editing book editing company um, and did that first season with her and other people and um, led to actually working for Rob, uh, Rob Wegner with marketing his book. That was one of the things that led into that. Um, I've edited some books for you know all sorts of cool people, um, done all sorts of cool stuff, met Tosca Lee, uh, met Ted Decker. Um, Who's Tosca Lee and Ted Decker? They're, they're, sorry. Um, That's okay. They're they're well. I'm talking. I'm apologizing to our listeners. Um, so so Ted Decker is a uh, internationally known fiction writer. Does a, a lot of thrillers. Writes a, writes a lot of thrillers, and then um, also writes some main, mainstream Christian novels. Uh, Tosca Lee is one of his co-authors for a season, and um, she now writes uh, like paranormal uh, thrillers and all sorts of cool stuff that's just way out there and. Fantastic, and she actually lives in um, just south of Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, and one of her books is—I uh, was reading it, and I realized um, I know where she's writing because it's like within a couple miles of my mother-in-law's house. Um, and so I, we realized like we're, there's this connection between. Anyways, it was cool. Um, so yeah, it's just been a journey of of discovering all these different pieces and just taking the next steps. Um, when COVID hit, and we had a window cleaning company, we we're doing residential window cleaning. And no one wanted you inside their home. And that business went from, you know, I could make $600 in a day washing windows inside on a house and take like five or six hours. Uh, All of a sudden now you're going from that to nothing. Uh, It was a really, it was a big challenge. And we could have just, you know, crumpled up and done nothing. Uh, But my business advisor at the time was good friends with the guy that was getting ready to sell his lawn sprinkler company. He said, hey, why don't you just buy it? Um, I'll figure out the terms for you. Don't worry about it. But I think it's a good good opportunity for you. And within like two weeks of COVID hitting, we had started a lawn sprinkler company and just hit the ground running. Had no experience in that at all, but I figured it out and watched a lot of YouTube videos, um, read a lot of books, and just you just kind of figured it out. Um, and so a lot of times it's the gumption and the drive to just try it. Um, and if it fails, at least you failed falling forward um, and you at least tried it. And that's that's what I've learned a lot from a lot of the different people we've met is they just kept trying. And you see that in the movie uh, Captain America, where um, he's at the beginning, he's that little scrawny guy, and he just gets, keeps getting beat up over and over and over again. And he just keeps on getting up every time. And eventually that leads into who he becomes as Captain America. But he had to be the guy who just got beat up 10 times in a row before he could do that. And that's a, what a lot of times what it feels like to be an entrepreneur 
it's you're going into things and you're experimenting and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and every day you're getting beat up over and over and over again. Um, and so it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's a very, um, difficult and dangerous profession to be someone who is using an entrepreneurial skill set to start businesses. Um, but it's very rewarding because eventually you find like Thomas Edison, you find the light bulb and it's like, I've got it finally. And you just, you run with it. Um, and there's been many instances of that happening where, uh, like I was working for a medical clinic in Gladstone and we spent over a year just building a marketing program for something that had never been marketed before. Uh, and it was really difficult and really, um, just a strange process, but we ended up finally getting it. And it was like, I, you know, I've got it. I remember going to the the owner and just saying, we've, we've got this, I've figured it out. Um, and it was just one of those light bulb moments. So, um, it's very rewarding. Um, the other thing that's been rewarding with it is seeing our kids, um, cause we've, you know, we've, they've seen us start my wife, my wife and I start all these businesses. My wife teaches piano. She does, um, all sorts of things that she's been doing out of the house. She's been teaching them. Um, like they wanted to make money and I'm not going to give them money partly cause I don't have it, but also because <laughs> like, I want them to learn how to earn income, not just get income or want income or all, you know, all the different adjectives you put around it. I want them to learn to earn it. And so they've been doing these different things out of the house. And one of my, one of my sons has started his own company. He's, he's nine and um, he does pet sitting during the summers and he's made a lot of money just pet sitting for neighbors and friends. And, um, you know, we could have given him that money. Um, we could have given him a bike this last season when he really wanted a new bike, but he earned money to buy his own bike, which was so much more uh, powerful in the end than just him getting it on his own uh, from someone else. Like he got it on his own. Um, so we're seeing those same things in our kids of these, you know, working every day, for them, it's, you know, he has to get up and go, you know, walk the dog and all these other things, but he's working and it's a long process. But in the end, I bought my own bike. Like that was really cool to see just like two weeks ago. And so, he's nine years old, Yeah, you know, and yep. I, I remember when I had the, I had a conversation with you, we were on a job and you had told me about one of your sons starting his own company because he wanted to buy something. And I I just had the the little tear ducts in my eyes just just pushing just like you know 90 psi of pressure on my my tear ducts hearing that you know you first off as a father because you love your kids and I've seen how you do this and how you father your kids you say hey how are you going to earn the money to do that and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and p- business owners they think one day this will sprout in my children and when they're 18, they'll choose to start their own business instead of going to college. But you, the Davis family, is like, nah, there's no, uh, there's no time frame or ideal time. They can do it now. There's no reason why they can't do it now. And so I hope everybody hears that. Go back, rewind what Jeremiah just said. His <laughs> nine-year-old started a business. And that's not the only business that's being started by kids, you know, in, in your household, right? Spoiler alert, like everybody is figuring something out. Well, and it goes back to like, if it's actually a skill set, then my five-year-old can make brownies at our house with my wife figure out how much it is to you know add up all the costs and all the different things out of her time and then sell brownies to get her bike as well. And that's actually what happened uh, two summers ago. Uh, my, my seven-year-old, she, she started her own brownie business, just, you know, you know, uh, making brownies and selling them, but it's because it's a skill Um If it's, you know, natural gifting, then you can't teach your kids how to do it. 
Mm-hmm. But if it's a, just if it's skills, then you can teach your kids skills. Um, and so that's that's kind of where we started on that journey with our kids was realizing that these are some things that we can start now. Uh, and then as they grow older, um, they'll have those things. And uh, I wanted to go back a bit because um, we were talking about um, the difference between earning uh, income and getting income. And um, there's another book we've been, I, I read a lot. We've talked about that before. Um, but one of the books I'm reading right now is about a Jewish rabbi, and he talks about the Hebrew word for money and how there is no um, word in Hebrew for getting money. It's always tied to earning income um, when they talk about money in the in the Torah and in other places. It's always about earning money. Um, and so even at a, like a language and a culture, there is no other word for money except for earning money um, versus like our culture. You can get money. I can win money. Um, I can go out and I can buy different things. Like there's all these different adjectives that describe money, but in a Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, it's only about earning. Um, and so then you like, for them, it's, it's this cultural piece that's been brought up um, where their language is actually informing who they are. And so that's what we've had to work on in our own home is that these are the things we want for our kids. These are the things we want for ourselves and actually forming language around that is really important. And that kind of goes into some of the things um, I'm, I'm part of another group called has said, um, and we talk about um, like these, these we statements of who you are is important. And so we talk about as a family, this is who we are as a family. Um, this is what our family does and doesn't do. And by saying that you're actually informing culture in your family. Um, and so that was one of the things we learned early on with, with business was this is how our family does money. This is how we earn income. If you want to, Go off and you know buy something. You have to earn the money for it. You can't just get it. Um, you can't win it. You can't just take it off of someone because that's stealing. Um, we want to actually earn the income and earn the money. Um, and so that was one of the things we started working on was just informing culture within our own family. I, I love that. Um, I love how it's gone beyond the lemonade stand with your family. You know, everybody, which, dry- which we have done. Uh, right, exactly. And that's like, that's like preschool level, right? I mean, that's literally, I, I think that's like one of the, that and like selling Girl Scout cookies out in front of a Walmart are the two most popular images for, you know, kids learning how to make money. But you guys have turned that on its head. You know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, end there. It can start there. It's a great way. Um, you Which know, if you, uh, if you are driving along someday, I always just keep a little extra change just to be able to stop by those stands because it's important uh, to be able to support local businesses, no matter how old or small they are. Absolutely. And the look in their faces when you do that um, is just incredible. But I I did stop at one, uh, I think it was last year they were doing, you know, these little dinky Dixie cups and he wanted two bucks for that. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. And he just kind of looked at me. He'd never had anybody. Uh, a little um, boy was selling. Him. Yeah. A little boy, <laughs> the, these two little boys over there on, a, on the corner of lemonade stand. It's like, how about I give you a dollar? And uh, he had to go get permission from mom, but he, uh, he, he took, he took the dollar. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, two bucks for a little Dixie cup of lemonade. Um, anyway, that, that's, that's market research and other things you should have done to be able to figure out how much he could actually sell. But you know, it's a little kid. You just kind of put up with it. Yeah. I've done that too before. Like I'll look at their dad or their mom and I'll say, I'll wink and I'll kind of engage in a conversation. So, so how did you make this? You know, where, where do these come from? And you know, it was right down the street. So I ended up going there multiple times. So oh, it was not a big so deal. Cool. So I love I, that. I did support him both. Now, you know, I wasn't just that old man that 
gets upset. Yeah, I can't believe it's you know, the blah, 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 inflation. I, I went by multiple times, so it's fine. Absolutely. Another thing that you talked about, and I think about the example that you're you're leaving for your kids as well, but you talked about, um, you know, you started it with Captain America. You say, you know, he had to he had to get beat up, he had to get knocked down, and that's what being an entrepreneur, or in your case, a non-entrepreneur, <laughs> is like. Um, maybe you can tell us a bit. I mean, I know someone out there at some point now or two years from now will be listening to this and they'll be at a point in their life where they're, they're like, I really need some advice. I feel like I'm getting knocked down. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, how you get back up, what you've learned by getting back up over and over again. I was actually on a call with a, a friend this morning. He was, uh, he was getting knocked down really hard today. And, um, what I've learned and what I've read and from other people is you figure out what is the next thing. Like, and you, you see that in the movie, I think it's frozen Two with the song, what, you know, the next right thing, uh, where, um, Anna is just, you know, she's been beaten down in this Valley moment in the movie. And she you know, goes into that song about, you know, the, doing the next right thing. Um, and so it's, you know, when you're in those moments in the Valley and you're just despondent and despairing and, um, in debt and, uh, distressed and depressed, it's figuring out what is the next thing I can do. And it doesn't have to be the next right thing. It can just be anything. Like it could be, um, you know, any, anything at all, just, it, just getting movement. Cause a lot of times if the cogs get stuck, the whole process is shut down. There's no movement anywhere. Um, and so if you just get movement going, um, then that movement leads to other movement, which leads to even more. And then eventually it becomes big movements, but it's just doing the next thing. And then the next thing, and then the next thing. Um, and then those things end up getting to where you can, oh, yeah, now I know what I need. And so you, you just keep going on and on and on. Um, so that was one of the things I learned early on was just get up. You just, just getting up um, and getting moving gives you movement that then moves into other pieces. So, yeah. You know, something else I've, I've heard that's amazing, by the way, the next, the next right thing. Um, something I've seen you talk to people about that you're enthusiastic about um, combating and, and I guess fixing too is, you know, poverty mindset and, you know, how to communicate your value or the value you bring. So what are some things you would say to people who are struggling with that? And, you know, maybe you can define what that means to you, poverty mindset. Yeah. Um, so when I, growing up, we, uh, we moved a lot. Um, my, I was born up in Iowa and then almost immediately moved to Maine, up in Freeport, and my dad helped start the fly fishing department at LL Bean in Freeport, Maine. And then, um, about five years into that, I started elementary school, and we found out that the um, schools still to this day are not accredited for college. So, if you graduate from high school in that area, uh, because it's so um, not just run down, but like most of the guys, most of the guys that I was go to school with, they'll go into logging or they'll go into fishing. Um, and so when we looked back, it was just a handful of students out of 200 actually graduated from high school. Uh, so when we found that out in the school system and started looking at options, um, dad left that job and moved to Springfield to start the, ba- the uh, fly fishing department at Bass Pro in Springfield back before they were big. Like this was like 90, uh, 89 or 90 in that range, right before they got real big. Um, and then from there started a fly rod company in Vermont and then various other things. And then we went through their season where we were actually homeless, um, living out of, I remember there are stories, um, you know, little glimpses as a kid, you just kind of rationalize things in a way that they're different from adults. But I remember, um, thinking about, uh, we called it our cramp ground where we were just cramped in our Jeep, all crammed together, sleeping in the Jeep overnight. Um, 
looking back on it, probably was not a good situation um, living in a Jeep. But that's where we were. And then I uh, went and you know went and um, lived with my grandparents for a while and other places, and then uh, moved on to um, other other jobs and other opportunities. And he ended up starting his own business and blah blah. blah. Um, but for me, it's the you know when you learn um, that you can't have control of your life and you're not the one that makes the choices. It's someone else that's made these choices and you're just stuck. And it's, you've given the power as we talked about earlier to other people, that's poverty mindset. It's, it's the idea that, um, you know, you're the, to go back to Exodus, you're the slave and someone else is the tax master, um, that they have the control and power over you. That's a poverty mindset. And so it's being able to go through and figure out like, what am I actually worth? Um, and I remember there's a, a church here in town called Nava. Um, Adam Cox was talking about this one time about what is it, what are you worth? What's your life worth? And um, he took out this giant check on stage and he, he wrote the name Jesus in there. And he's like, your life is worth so much that God gave Jesus as the deposit for your life. And that's what he, that's how he cashed in on your life was Jesus. And at that moment, like I realized there's a lot of things that I have been thinking and had been um, just thought as a kid and growing up, you know, you just, you rationalize things differently that needed to change because I didn't actually know what I was worth. And because I didn't know what I was worth, I was working for minimum wage. Um, I would work for other people and just not make good choices. And so there was this journey of realizing um, what am I actually worth and what am I going to do about that? And that's what led to today. You know, this just moment just got served right up. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, people can't see me because this is audio, but I'm, I'm getting a little watery out again, just thinking about that. Um, there's so much that you said that really resonates, um, you know, for me, and I, I can just imagine people hearing that. Um, as a believer running a business, I know that you've been through moments where you've maybe offered discounts You've also been through moments where you've done price increases, and we're talking about value now, right? Yeah. We you just just talked about what poverty mindset is, and you know we could just go into this whole thing about Christian or faith led businesses now. Um, you know how have you handled that in the past? What have you learned from being you know a believer who runs businesses? Yeah, so part of it, um, and this goes back to Ted Decker. He um, he runs a um, a class called the Forgotten Way. And he talks a lot about how um, we are children playing in the sandbox. And so, like, my business is me building a sandcastle. And it's a beautiful sandcastle, and it's cool, and it's great. However, my identity is not in the sandcastle. My identity is in being a son who is playing in the sandcastle. And so there's a difference between the person whose identity is in the sandcastle and building these things and making them because that's who they are versus I am a son who gets to play in the sand. And if that sand castle gets swept away or if it gets destroyed, like my identity is not in the sand. Um, and so that's where, that's, that, that's where I start with a lot of people is just trying to help them understand your identity is not in what you do. Uh, it's in who you are. And it, the, the things that define you are going to tell you who you are. So if you're, if you're relying on your wife, which a lot of guys rely on their wives to tell them who they are or your kids, like you're a good dad, and then sometimes you're not so good of a dad. Um, if your identity is wrapped up in those things and you can get angry, you can get depressed, you can get frustrated. If your identity is in um, you know, your job, then if you lose your job, suddenly you don't have an identity. And so there's all these things that we can put our identity in 
relationships, things, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Right. What's um, the first question everybody asks you at a party after your name? Yep. What do you do? What do you do? Yep. And what's the expectation that you'll answer? The, you come back with whatever you're doing as a, for a job. For a job. So, yeah. 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 So for me, um, it was, it was being able to identify then, um, if, uh, my identity is not in what I do or in these sandcastles, then what is it actually in? And I remember there's a moment where we were praying and I just had this really honest moment with God. It's like, Hey, you know what? Like if you, if my identity is not in all these things and, and, and you're the one that tells me who I am because you're the creator, then I need you to show me that. And he led me to Psalm 1. And it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Um, and so those that was something that I um, kind of latched onto years and years ago. So when there's hard moments and there's things, you know, the bank account is at zero and the wife is asking for money because she needs to get food on the table in the next week. Um, I can look at that verse and it says, in all that I do, I prosper. And that's the word for Vanguard. It's the forward element of the army that has the shields up and they're pushing and they're advancing and it's really hard and they might only move an inch, but they're moving forward. It's that forward element that says, I'm going to prosper no matter what. And so when it gets really hard, uh, I can look at that and go, okay, I can figure this out. I can go find another job if I need to. And uh, like, and not just like another job, like for like window cleaning, I can go find another uh, company to go wash windows for this afternoon and make money. Uh, I remember there was a moment, it was maybe four years ago, a really brutal snowstorm in the middle of February. And we needed some money to make rent for, I think it was March. And I went out in the middle of the snowstorm and took, I think it was eight hours walking, advertising for window cleaning. And it was ridiculous. But I found one job that covered what I needed for that day. Um, And I realized I was the only guy out there advertising window cleaning. So there's, I mean, there's no competition at that point. You are the competition because there's no one else to even compete against. And so when I was the one walking around, it took me eight hours to find the find the customer. But when I had what she needed, and she needed it right then, I was able to establish, you know, this is what I'm going to charge for it, and blah blah. blah. And there's no question, like you're the guy. Um, and so for me, it was just going out and getting it done um, because I'm the guy that prospers. Um, there's been other moments where. You know, it says here he walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the seat of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in uh, the law of the Lord. So it's talking about the Torah and how he meditates on it day and night. And so that informs me on some of the things that I can do and can't do. Like if I'm walking around listening to different podcasts, there's some podcasts I don't listen to because I'm meditating on what God wants me to be meditating on. Um, there's been other times where it talks about you know the, stre- the tree that's planted by a stream. Um, and has you know gets what it needs, but its leaf doesn't wither, and it and it um, has its fruit in its season. And so there's been times where we haven't been fruitful, and that's okay. Don't have to be fruitful all the time. And I think that's a big American mindset: is you always have to be producing, always have to be moving forward, always have to be um, making something. And in this, it says you know that's in a season. And so sometimes there's seasons where it's just you don't really do a whole lot. You're you're doing work, but it's not making much money. And then there's some seasons like we're coming up on with winterizations where we'll make half our income in about a month worth of work. Um, and so there's just different seasons of life and different things. So, um, but that's, that's what I've put um, my identity in is 
whatever uh, he says um, in the different scriptures and different things and when uh, whatever he says through others. Um, and so there's some guys that I keep uh, pretty tight and close to that uh, sometimes on a daily basis, but at least weekly checking in with like, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or thinking about doing this next. And they're pretty upfront with me and telling me that, no, you're an idiot or you really, we, we've talked about this many times now and you're just not listening. I'm like, well, fine. Um, so those, those are, that's also helpful to have what we call the church around you um, to be able to help inform you of who you are and what you do, because um, we are a body of different people working together, not just one person. Right. So you, you mentioned some things too. And, you know, when I, was asking you about the um, the pricing and, you know, the difference. I didn't say charity, but sometimes I think people assume, like, if I'm a believer, like, I've got to have charity. And, you know, I think there's a there's an accepted sort of myth that, you know, um, you know faith-based services or faith-based organizations, nonprofits, etc., should be associated also with ipso facto, like, you know, affordability and, you know, they're going to be cheap and, because there's this element of like they're doing it from the goodness of their heart, but you know, um, with yeah, everything, I've had, I've had yeah. people tell me that uh, because you're 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 um, a Christ follower and blah blah blah, um, you should be going into debt to help other people. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna I'm gonna that build up a business so that I can help other people out of the uh, overflow of that business. Um, and this goes into a good point. Like the the major shift that happened for me. Um, and what led to a lot of this starting, uh, I was at a uh, um, chamber of commerce meeting in Harrisonville, down south, down south of Kansas City, and I um, was invited in there by a friend. So we're sitting there talking, and um, this this guy in a red suit, like like red, like this microphone cover red, um, <laughs> and he's old too; he's in his eighties. Uh, you know, hobbles up to stuff to, to the stage, and I'm trying for what is going on, and um, he does this keynote speech to the whole chamber of commerce. And then he gets all these rewards and recognitions and certain things happen. And I realized that he has either employed or housed everybody in the room, except for me. Uh, I was, I was invited from outside. Um, and at that point I realized like I, I had gone to school to be a pastor of a church. Um, I have my master's in Christian education, um, have multiple different degrees in psychology, sociology. And that was my, that was my trajectory at that point was, was pastoring. Um, but I realized in that moment that this guy has pastored this entire town by giving them a job and a place to live. And he's being recognized for that. And it was like this aha moment of, that's what I want. Like, I want to get to where when I'm 80 and I'm walking through Kansas City and we're doing various things, I'm on the boards and we're doing all sorts of cool stuff. Like, people get to look and say, like, you know, this is the guy that helped me get a job and led me into these new things because I made these shifts because I encountered him. Like, that's what I wanted at that point. Um, and so that's what's led to Shift KC. That's what's led to Songbird. That's what led to um, make some changes with the business that I was currently owning to where um, I was making money for myself. Now I'm making money so I can help other people, um, employing other people. At one point we've had, it was a small business owner. You're trying to use every single dollar to make ends meet. And I realized if I can employ five people, I can actually make ends meet a lot easier. Um, so I started to hire people and just these, all these different shifts happened because I met this guy in the red suit. So I still don't know what his name is to this day. Um, but I'm really thankful that I met him because, um, it, it, it really did change everything in that moment from, you know, it's about me to, it's actually about other people. 
Yeah, you mentioned Songbird, um, which is right in line with that um, helping people. Do you want to talk about that at all? Um, sure. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, it looks like we have a couple more minutes. Um, so my wife and I, it was a couple of years ago, probably 2011, I picked up a book called A Place of Refuge. And it's about this uh, place in the UK called Windsor Hill Wood. And it's a family that opened their home to people going through a traumatic or uncertain time. And they just um, kept an extra place at the table, kept an extra bed open at their home. And that ended up morphing into this um, nonprofit they run now uh, where they have multiple different shepherd huts and places for people to live. And uh, about 30 to 40 volunteers come through every year. And uh, so we were reading this story and it just really ignited a passion in us. Like we want to, we want to do that. Um, and it, I remember writing down, this was seven years ago. Uh, I remember writing down what would become Songbird Abbey in a journal and I wrote at the very back of it, I said, um, the next step is to form a board of directors and to find our Kimbrogi. That's a C-Y-M-B-R-O-G-I. It's a Celtic term, and it means companions of the heart. And it took us seven years to find that, um, seven years to be able to figure out who who are we going to run with, who are the people that are going to um, be with us long term. And those are our friends in the Kansas City Underground here. And um, I, one of the guys on the Kansas City Underground He's the one that helped us start Songbird. Um, and so we've actually taken all of those steps I'd written out seven years ago um, within about the three-month process uh, this year. So it took seven years to run three months. Um, so we've got that formed. We've um, it's invited a couple guys into our home already. Um, we're constantly inviting people over, working on um, getting ready to buy a house and some land to be able to do that. Um, but we're, we're just, you know, wanting to help people that are going through a traumatic or, or uncertain period in their life that just need a hand up like, uh, my family and I did back you know, years ago when we had one of our daughters and we had to, um, live on our, we were living on our own. We just needed help. Um, like my dad and my mom did when they were living on their own and they just needed help. Um, and so we wanted to be able to, um, do that for people, um, in a, in a good way. And so that's where, that's where the idea for Songbird came from. Um, my wife actually has a songbird that's on her tattooed on her arm. Um, we originally called it something else and she was against it. Um, just because of the name, she didn't like the name. Like, oh, the name of songbird yeah. Abbey. Like she was like, what about, what about, what about, what about songbird Abbey? What do you think about this? And, and, um, she, she was totally on board then, but it was, it was, you know, that little songbird on her arm actually informed the whole thing. So that's where we got the name from. Um, right. Yeah. Um, you've said before, start small, start, start now. Um, your philosophy with business. Can you tell me about what that, what that uh, means? So I, I forget who, where, where it comes from, but it's the um, idea of a minimum viable product. What's the, what's the lowest form of product you need to sell to be able to start your business? Um, so like, for instance, we have a friend, he wants to start a coffee shop in Piper, Kansas. Um, and as we were talking, I started asking questions about it and I realized the minimum viable product for a coffee shop is coffee beans. Um, so if we want to start the coffee business, the coffee shop, we actually need to start roasting coffee now. Um, and so my background at Starbucks with roasting coffee and various things I'd done as a coffee master there um, led to this idea of starting a coffee roaster here in Kansas City. And so I, you know, put all the ideas into it and I wrote everything down about what we would need to do and how much, how much to sell it for, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I waited. And that's one of the things that's hard for people is you, sometimes things have a shelf life and they just have to sit. And, um, it was about two, three years later, met, uh, met a new friend and instantly we made a connection because he has a coffee roaster at his house. He roasts coffee. 
I was like, sweet. I've wanted to do this for a while. Let, let's two chat. Two to three years. Uh, two to <laughs> I've three been years later. To do this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we've been meeting and we're getting ready to start a coffee roastery now. Um, but it took the idea of what is this minimum viable product. And so sometimes I think with starting a business, it's a lot of people have this idea. It has to be this big, huge thing. Um, but really it's what's the, what's the minimum. And so like, if you think about like a chiropractic clinic, what's the minimum viable product at chiropractic clinic? Uh, services, you know, back correction services, yeah, adju- uh, an adjustment, adjustment. adjustment. There yeah. we go. Yeah. 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 So there's all these other things that they could add on. You could do, um, you know, health services like you talked about. Um, sometimes they'll add on um, uh, te- the, the, the tension ta- tables. Um, there's all sorts of things you can do, but the minimum viable product of a chiropractic clinic is an adjustment. Um, what's the minimum viable product at a grocery store? Food. <laughs> Food, yeah. What, what do most Products. people go for at the grocery store? What's like, like two things that most people go and get at the grocery store? Food and just like, house what, supplies. What kind of food? What's uh, always on the list. Well, I think about what I go to get sure. and what other people get, but you know, yeah, it, bananas. Bananas, yeah, bananas, bananas are always running bananas, out. Bananas, bread, and milk. That's the minimum. Like if you have those three things, you're, you've got a grocery store. Whoa. Most people are going to go <laughs> get blow. bananas, bread, and milk. And that's why they're always at the front. Um, they put the milk that's at the right. back because the coolers, but almost everybody goes for bread. And so the next time when you go for, you know, go to the grocery store, just look at the carts. Everybody has milk, bananas, and bread. It's always oh, funny. I'm um, so going to like So it's just that. figuring out like, what are, what are those things you can sell now? Um, and so one, and once you get that base, those are your base things. Uh, most of the products you're going to sell are going to be that one thing. And then everything else you'll add on later. So for us, like for, um, for, for lawn sprinklers for the longest time, our base was winterizations. Everybody needs to winterize their lawn sprinklers here in Kansas city. Um, they need to get it blown out. Uh, we can advertise for that and that's our base. Uh, I forget the numbers on it, but it's over 50% of what we do every year is just in this season of winterizations. So then we started adding on, you know, if, if we're going to winterize, let's also add on the cost to turn it on in the spring and the you know backflow checks and blah, blah, blah. So we added that on to the winter, winterization because they're going to buy that. So then you can start building out once you get your minimum viable product, but you have to have something to sell first. So Right. Yeah. Same thing with business consulting. Um, you know, what's a minimum viable product for business consulting? Um, for us, it's been cash, cash flow. Having a cash flow system, every business suffers with cash. Um, most guys, I remember a guy, uh, this is the... The secret to it, when I, when I, I, um, most people, when, when you're running a business, I ran into a guy, lawn, he was doing lawn care, okay? Um, tons of cash in his truck. Just no cash flow system at all. When he needed cash, he'd go dig in the cushions. It was just, <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Um, so I helped him with a cash flow system. And I just realized there's a lot of businesses, they don't have that. Um, so our, our minimum product for our business consulting has been cash flow. So there's always something that's like the one thing you're going to sell somebody it's it's going to be your minimum vial product absolutely um the you know i wanted to kind of open it up to you to kind of talk about other parts of your story that maybe we haven't covered yet and i had on my list uh deuteronomy 818 as well so you know whatever makes sense for you and we 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 already talked about deuteronomy 818 with the the power to get wealth uh the um, that it's it's God who gives us power to to do these things and to to earn income. Um, it's not uh, it's not in anybody else to give us the power to earn income or your employer to earn income. Um, and that brings up a good point too. There's a lot of books now that are coming out. Um, I can't remember which which one I read it was in, but it talks about you Inc. So it's the idea of thinking that even as an employee of a company, 
I am selling myself and my services, my resume, my um, the things that I know to my employer. I'm just doing it to get a salary. So it's the idea that it's you, Inc. You yourself are, the, are a business. Um, and so like to even get, take it a step further, you could think of yourself as like a subcontractor. That I am subcontracting myself to my employer to make this pay, this paycheck. Um, so yeah, that was just different. That was something I wanted to, to toss in there. Very interesting concept. I've never heard it. This is literally happening for the first time. I've never heard it said like that. Yeah. You Inc. You incorporated. Wow. I think that's part of what happened with me too. in the Mm -hmm. business I started was I realized what I was giving uh, to organizations and my perspective and uh, for a salary for a salary. Exactly. Now, now you're doing it as a subcontractor. That's right. Which is you actually make more money. That's right. Yeah. Um, It's been so good talking with you today. Um, You know, I think part of the, the mission with shift um, is there's, there's a lot of redemption there. There's a theme of freedom, a very strong theme of freedom, but you know, it's in the name. It's just shift. Um, You know, what is something that people can do every day to begin that shift? Because, you know, you said it takes time, right? It takes time for people to arrive, but um, you know, mindset wise and posture wise, what would you recommend to somebody who's maybe just, just now having an aha moment? Yeah. They need to start um, doing this. So the first thing I would say is don't quit your day job. Um, a lot of people get really excited about what we're doing and are really excited about the the mindset shifts. They want to just go out and kill it tomorrow. And that's not going to happen. Um, you're going to fall on your face doing that. So the first thing is don't quit your day job. Second piece is to find that, that little piece of time that you can commit to it. Like that guy that wrote a book uh, four hours every Saturday morning for you know years and ended up writing a book that way. Um, it's finding and carving out that niche of when can I do this? Um, and for me, a lot of that was just, I can, I can get up earlier. I know I, you know, I don't need to stay up till midnight watching Netflix. I can get up at four o'clock in the morning, put in two hours at the job I want to do as a subcontractor and then go do my day job. Um, so it's finding that time. Sometimes it's on breaks. Sometimes it's in the evenings. Once the kids have gone to bed, um, we knew a lady that she started her business in Omaha Um, she would put her kids to bed by nine and then work from nine to midnight on her, her business and then go to bed, wake up at five, do the whole thing over again and did that for years. Um, but it's just finding that time. So it doesn't have to be this big, huge commitment. It can be just an hour a day of what is the, you know, um, to be able to find the time to to actually build your own business. Excellent. Anything else you want to tell folks before we sign off? No. Man, it's been so good talking with you today. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining KCBC. Again, feel free to like, follow, subscribe. Leave us a review if you would. Thank you so much. 